Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, it's 2022. What's going on? Not so much. I am ringing in the new year with a new podcast with you. I know. I'm excited. Here we are. And you know what? You know what's the best way to make changes in the new year? To take that excitement and turn it into action. What's that, Steve? Join our Patreon group. Why? Because you're going to get this podcast early. You're going to get a monthly book club filled with some of the most um, innovative and forward-thinking authors that you can talk to. You're going to get a, depending on the level, a mastermind group, which is a quarterly hour and a half discussion with myself and brad and you get all sorts of other goodies some guides on how to live a better life and do things in a more optimal and efficient manner all sorts of good stuff so if you're considering in the new year making changes why not join the club get on our patreon group and when you're in the group you can set pretty big goals which is what we're going to talk about today on the pod goal setting It is a topic that most people are first acquainted with in peewee, basketball, soccer, t-ball, perhaps in school if you are an older millennial like us, you took a life skills class where they taught goal setting in sixth grade. That that happened in North Farmington School District anyways. Um, So goals are good. But per the usual, there's a lot of nuance and the typical advice to just set goals often fails people because perhaps what I should have said is goals can be good, but goals can also be pretty deleterious and harmful. So given that it's the new year and we're all humans and lots of folks with a fresh start are setting sail towards trying to change their lives or their work for the better, we figured that we would talk about um, the best way to set goals and how to avoid some of the most common pitfalls. Love it. Excited to dive into this one. And thanks for that uh, history lesson of your life, Brad. Now I know why you turned out so well. That sixth grade life skills, you know, class. We didn't have those down here in Texas. So Michigan was on the up and up. But anyways, to dive in, you know, I have I have this love-hate relationship with goals. And I think a lot of it stems from being an athlete and a runner who spent most of his life setting goals because that's what you do. How fast do I want to try and run this year? How can I improve on my personal best? All of those good things. Like it comes naturally with the sport because the sport is a time-based sport, so it's easy to set goals and um, go after them. But I think my hate comes from the fact that I set very ambitious goals from the beginning. In fact, you know, I'm if you rummage around my parents' house in some random cabinet in my room, I'm sure you'll find all sorts of goal sheets. In fact, I know you'll find all sorts of goal sheets with wildly overambitious goals for myself. 
And one in particular I remember, which is when I was a freshman in high school and started getting good, I decided, you know what? Goals are great. I need to ingrain this in my head. I just got out a piece of paper, wrote my goal time for that year on the wall or put it on the paper, stuck it on the wall where I would wake up and see that goal every single day. And initially it worked great because I bettered that goal. But then I set an even more ambitious goal. And then I didn't better that goal. And that reminder sat there for years on years of, oh, crap, I didn't meet this goal. This isn't, and it turned into this thing that was kind of this, this, um, this backfiring, this reminder, this thing that, that made me less motivated instead of more. And I think that's, you know, maybe we'll start off there where I think we can run into some, some pitfalls on, on goals. And one of those is goals work really well with things that are achievable and relatively easy, but they backfire often when they're incredibly difficult or too difficult in the sense that they then switch to a reminder that we haven't made it there yet. So I think that this is often, at least in the performance world, the conversation around process versus outcomes to some degree, where an outcome focused is very much on the thing that's way down the road and a process focus is very much focused on showing up and executing this day, this week, perhaps this month. So if you've got a goal to take your deadlift or your squat from 200 pounds to 350 pounds, that is fine, but that is going to take you on the order of one to three years. And it can be pretty discouraging to constantly see yourself so short of the goal. Whereas if your process is, hey, I'm going to train these movements two days a week and I'm going to go hard two weeks, easy one week, hard three weeks, easy one week, and and so on and so forth, then that's something that you can stick to um, a lot more. I think that where sometimes people get into trouble is it's really easy to say process over outcome, but outcomes do matter in most things. It's just that they ought not drive the process. The process ought to drive the outcome. Yeah, 100%. And I think Societally, human behavior-wise, et cetera, I think we're driven or drawn to those outcomes because they're objective and tangible, right? And we're not saying, hey, this doesn't matter. This doesn't exist. Of course, you know, earning X money, making Y sales, running, you know, Z time all matter if those are the pursuits you're pursuing, uh, but we're what we're saying is we tend to overemphasize those. They tend to take a an outsized level of importance in our lives. And if we give them that power and control, then they can often backfire. So process is about staking, taking a step back and trying to emphasize this this other thing over there so that the outcome doesn't take up all of the oxygen in the room. All right, so we've got... The first two pitfalls, goals that are too difficult, too ambitious, and 
focusing on the outcome more than the process. Um, what do you make of BHAGs, which became popular in a book that I believe was either built to last or good to great? Um, and it stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And the authors of these books, um, both business thinkers and, and quite good books, made the case that you actually want to set these big, hairy, audacious goals um, to motivate, to inspire. And if you fall short, hey, that's fine. You'll still fall short in a good place. Yeah. So I, if you ask teenage me, I would think that's a great idea. If you ask, you know, 30 something middle aged Steve, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. I think, I think it depends on, well, let's step back. I think it depends on what area or interest you're looking at. Right. Um, but again, in the athletic world, to give you context, like when I was 14, like I set a goal to run under four minutes in the mile um, as a high schooler. Like that was my goal as a 14 year old. And granted, at that time, only three people in history, I think, actually, yeah, no, three people in history at that point had done that. So that is like big, hairy, audacious. And sure, you could argue like, great, like it got me really close. But after a while, it then becomes this reminder in those things that we talked about at the at the beginning. So I think big, hairy, audacious goals might work to 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 a degree to inspire, to get you thinking about like, oh, this is what I'm, I can achieve. And that that can work in the moment. But I have to think, I, I tend to think, as we progress in our expertise, our competencies, et cetera, do we need the inspiration? Do we need the big um, perspective changer to, 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 to move us up that ladder? And I think a lot of people don't, unless you're kind of stuck. So Circling back, I think my summary is it kind of depends on the person you are, but if you're a pusher, if you're driven, if you're, you know, teenage Steve, who's going to run a ton or, you know, 20 something year old Brad, who's going to like do whatever he can to master his performance. I don't think you need those big, hairy, audacious goals. All right. So I'm going to make this really concrete with uh, a personal example. So two areas of my life that I pay a fair amount of attention to, one in which I have no big, hairy, audacious goal, the other one in which I have a big, hairy, audacious goal. Okay? So the one in which I have no big, hairy, audacious goal is strength training. So my goal is literally just to lift as much weight as possible. And what that means is train within certain parameters where it doesn't encroach on other areas of my life to a point that I'm uncomfortable with and continuously get better. And if that ends up at 1,100 or 1,200 pounds across the squat, bench, press, deadlift, great. If it gets up to 1,400 pounds, that's great too. I have no delusions. Wherever it ends up, it's going to take a few years. The other thing is book sales. And right now on the practice of groundedness, for whatever reason, this goal of 100,000 copies in the first two years popped into my mind. And I don't know where it came from, but it's there. I wouldn't necessarily say it's super inspiring, but it doesn't seem detrimental either insofar as that it's not changing my process. And I would maybe even argue 
that it's helping my process because it is giving me a little bit more umph to continue promoting the book, writing around the book when otherwise I'm fatigued by it. So how do you make sense of that? How should I make sense of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I would say two things. Um, one, your book sales number is high, but it's something you've achieved before in other books. Okay. It's very, I mean, a hundred thousand is a lot of copies, but it's something you've achieved before. Um, B, in book sales, as you're well aware of, there's a lot of luck and other circumstances that come into play. Okay. And <laughs> I think there, um, that allows you, even if you haven't, if you don't hit that goal, if you hit 80,000, to be like, well, look back, it was worth it. All this is really good. Because you can what? externalize the bad luck. Yes, exactly. Which is so interesting because I think that it it's very counterintuitive because normally you'd say, well, don't set a goal that is outside of your control because you can't control what's going to happen. But perhaps for big, hairy, audacious goals, you should set those kinds of goals because then you can externalize failures. Whereas I know what you're going to say, if I don't lift the weight that I set out to lift... I can't blame the fact that, you know, I didn't get on the right podcast or the right person didn't pick up my tweets. I can only blame myself and my coach, Zach. So there you go, Zach. If you're listening, he probably doesn't listen. No, you're spot on. I mean, that's that's I don't even need to talk. That's what I was going to say. And the other thing that I would add to that is also with uh, something like lifting, there is there is a, a talent ceiling. And you don't know where that talent ceiling is. You can guess. Zach can maybe have a, a decent idea and say, hey, you're not going to be this world-class deadlifter based on X, Y, and Z. But you don't know where it is exactly. Yeah, and they tell me this. I think it's just so they can keep taking my money for coaching. But they tell me it'll take them at least five years to even have a hunch of where that ceiling is. Right. It, it, you know, but it's it's good advice and it's probably true. But you know, I think that plays a role into this because like with books, there's sure there is a ceiling. I mean, the amount of people who read in the world, <laughs> but like that ceiling is a lot more flexible and manipulatable and there's a lot more room, right? You say a hundred thousand. I mean, if you got, if you wrote the right book and got all of your luck in, in a row, like that could be millions upon millions of copies sold, you know? So, so I think in very concrete, hard um, places or pursuits like running or lifting or what have you, where there is going to be a talent ceiling you come up upon and you can't kind of shift blame or justification to external things. You have to be really careful about setting these these uh, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goals. I think that's a really um, good insight. And again, I sound like a broken record, but not what you'd think. Because you'd think that, hey, you should set goals for things that are totally in your control, but not for things that are more um, apt to be influenced by the elements, which may be true for very concrete things that are small, but for these larger, more inspirational goals, probably mentally healthier to set them for things where you can externalize failure 
uh, particularly if their primary function is to act as an inspiration point. So in this case, to continue making this really concrete, if I am at 25,000 copies and I'm feeling kind of tired, but I'm like, hey, it's only been three months, 25,000 copies, like 100,000. Like if I keep pushing, I can do it. Then that serves its purpose to inspire me. If I'm in the gym and squatting 315 pounds feels like really freaking heavy and a lot heavier than 300 did and the big, hairy, audacious goals 500 pounds, I might just stop working out. And I think that's that's the difference right there. And obviously it's one but one example that hopefully listeners can think about their own pursuits um, and, and apply to their own unique situations. Yeah, I like to call it if goals like push you to why try or what's the point mode, then you need to ditch that goal and 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 get another one. Right. It's a little bit too big, hairy and audacious, perhaps. Yep, exactly. All right. So the next pitfall around goal setting is that goals can be too rigid. And I think that a lot of this is born out of the SMART framework in business thinking. Um, Steve, do you know off the top of your head what it stands for? It's specific, measurable, achievable. Realistic. Yeah. And what's the T again? Anchored with a time frame. Yeah, there you go. So it's just, it, it's kind of an acronym for pretty rigid goals. And the theory there is that the clarity is really supposed to help. You can say that, hey, I want to achieve X by Y time frame. The problem there is that kind of rigidity often leads to a fair amount of fragility. And that is because if something in the environment changes, but the goal doesn't change, then you're more likely to ignore that environmental change and trek on. And in business, this can look like fraud or overstating earnings. I guess that is fraud or making reckless decisions. Uh, a really easy example is in sport where you get a runner who has a really smart goal for their upcoming half marathon and then they tweak their calf, but they're terrified to get off their training plan because their goal is very rigid and they need to stick to this plan to achieve it by the certain time. And as a result, they go out and train on their tweaked calf and suddenly they have a torn calf that requires two surgeries. And that to me is this issue with goals that are too rigid or goals that are too smart. Exactly. You know, I, I love the sport examples. The example you see all the time in endurance sports, you set a very rigid goal. You have a single rigid goal. You start your marathon at halfway, you realize you're falling off that rigid goal and you doom spiral. And you go from you go from maybe maybe you would have run a couple minutes slower, five minutes slower in the marathon, which in the big grand scheme of things, who cares? Right? To spiraling where you run much slower, decide to walk, maybe even drop out, right? Because there's no wiggle room in there. And so much better. Oh, sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Sorry for listeners. My camera's broke on my computer, so we can't see each other today. Um, I was just going to say, and, and what research and practice tells you is that contrary to our kind of perceived notions is that 
these kind of rigid go all in, burn the bridges or burn the ships and just go for it. Um, it backfires, right? A little bit of flexibility is much better. Yeah, there's one study um, that was published in the Journal of Marketing Research that showed that individuals that had a goal to work out seven days a week, but with the flexibility to have two quote-unquote skip days, performed significantly more workouts than people whose goal was to work out either all seven days a week or five days a week. So the all seven days a week thing is pretty easy. If your goal is to perform seven and you don't have any passes, you can understand why it might be harder. But what's really interesting there is, again, people with the goal of seven days a week with two skip days, so the least they could work out in any given week was five days, performed better than people whose top end goal was five days, but it was a rigid five. And just knowing that you have some flexibility, to Steve's point, really helps keep you on the path. Now, there's surely a uh, Goldilocks kind of middle way here because way too flexible and way too amorphous, you've got room for all kinds of excuses to creep in and way too rigid, you become fragile for the reasons that we just discussed. Yep, exactly. I mean, you're just looking for that kind of sweet spot Goldilocks zone where you have um, concreteness, right? Specific, all that good stuff. Uh, but enough wiggle room where if because of that day you fall short, it's not spiraling to a catastrophe. And that's why, again, this goes across from sports to business to life. You talked about working out where you see this research and in practical as well is in diets, right? Rigid diets that are very controlling work pretty well for a couple months. And then best. What, you know, at best. And then people fall off the wagon and then they give up entirely because it's it's too hard. And that's why, again, you know, even things like cheat days can be beneficial to a diet. But the key is like not having so many cheat days that then you give up as well or so many cheat days that it backfires. So it's it's that sweet spot of rigidity plus flexibility that really allows you to stay on the path. Yeah, or having such a rigid diet that on the cheat days, you binge eat 10,000 calories and feel like crap and guilt spiral and shame. I um, I know someone from undergraduate school that would do that. And it was just insane watching this person eat um, to a point where it probably became disordered. So even something like a cheat day, if everything else is so rigid, just becomes this crazy pendulum swing between uber discipline and completely letting go and falling off the bandwagon. And particularly with exercise nutrition goals, that leads to very unhealthy outcomes. Yep, exactly. And the other thing that the other caution I throw in there as well is that rigidity often leads to obsession. And I, I know this from personal experience, right? When I was in high school and college and running a lot, I had very kind of rigid goals when it came to how much I should run. You know, I'd be like, I need to run 100 miles a week. So it became, it turned into this obsession where I need to do this. I need to, you know, run X many miles a day. And if I don't, I'd feel that anxiety, that overwhelming sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing the thing that I need to do. And what you've just done there is turn that rigidity into obsession 
and that <laughs> something that you used to want to do into a need to do. And then as we outlined in our book, Passion Paradox, uh, it leads to all sorts of negative uh, health outcomes, cheating, even all sorts of bad things. So let's talk about strategies for effective goal setting. So if pitfall number one was the goal is too difficult, the correction is to lower the bar. So particularly for everyday goals where there is no way to externalize, you want to make sure that your goals are attainable. We know from research, again, that we profiled in the passion paradox, that the dopamine receptors in our brain, the neurochemical that controls motivation, they love little victories. Little victories keeps dopamine firing. Dopamine firing keeps us coming back for more. Without little victories, we tend to fall into apathy. We burn out. We become exhausted. We quit. That said, something that I hadn't thought about until this conversation, so I learned something new today, is counter to common wisdom, counter to what I've probably written in the past, the time to set a big, hairy, audacious goal is actually when there are all kinds of external factors because it serves as inspiration, but it's very easy to write off failure in a way that doesn't crush you. So that is the antidote to the goals being too difficult. Um, the antidote to the focusing on outcomes, I, I would say, is pretty simple. And this is outlined in The Practice of Groundedness, another one of our books. Adopt a process mindset. So set your goal, whether it's big, hairy, and audacious for something you can externalize or whether it is attainable for something that is concrete and internal, and then come up with the steps that give you the best chance of t achieving the goal and then measure yourself on those steps. So the goal becomes less about the goal and more about executing the steps. So I want to deadlift X amount of pounds. Great. Write it down, put it on a freaking note card, and then put the note card in a drawer. The process is I'm going to train this many days a week. I'm going to change my the way that I eat in this way. And then those become the things to focus on accomplishing every single day. Now, much like goals can be too rigid, processes can be too rigid too. And you need to be able to adapt your process um, as you go. So that to me is the best way to counter this focus on outcomes. Again, nothing wrong with the goal, but forget about it. And then the goal becomes simply staying on the path to get to this big North Star that's out in the future. Um, Steve, I know that you're a big fan of having backup goals. It's not something that I've ever toyed around with. Can you um, talk folks through how you work with backup goals? Because I hear that and I'm like, well, if I have a backup goal, I kind of lose the inspiration, motivational juice of the big goal. And even if I hit my backup goal, I'll still kind of feel like crap because it's my backup goal. Yeah. So this is something that I learned later on and used a lot in my coaching practice, especially uh, with athletes, but others as well, is that as I talked about earlier, what happens and again, I'll use the running example. What often happens is once our goal goes away, if we have nothing else, then we spiral and we catastrophize and we go into what's the point mode, right? And you see this all the time in endurance aspects. You go from running along, you're doing great. You slip off your time goal a little bit 
and the negative voice in your head, that devil on your shoulders starts to take over. So one of the ways you can combat that is kind of get a little more nuance with your goals. So having an A goal that is like, hey, if I did this, I'd be off, you know, I'd be, this is if everything perfectly aligns, this is what I'm capable of, this is very challenging, but if everything's perfect on race day, then I'll get that. And then you have a kind of B goal, which is like, if everything goes pretty good, then I should be able to get this. And then often I have what I'd call a a C goal or a floor, which is, hey, if everything goes to shit and I'm just off, I am still capable of this. And what I like to do there is here you have raising raising the ceiling. I think I said it wrong in that last one. Um, You have raising the ceiling, which is the goal you're trying to shoot for. And you have raising the floor, which is that if everything goes to crap, you know, I'm still capable of this. And you, you kind of have to just shift the emphasis a little bit and be like, my worst day needs to get better because that allows me to, to launch off a higher platform on my best day. So take pride in having your average or your poor or your worst day being pretty, still pretty good that you have a set standard. And I think that's where you can use kind of this flexibility in goal setting. And I get your point where you said, well, if you have this A, B, or C, do you default to, you know, the worst? From my experience, you don't because you're still striving for the best goal. But what happens is once that gets out of reach for whatever reason, you kind of, it's like this little light in your head goes off and you're like, okay, it's all right. I'm still capable of this. This still gives me a a win in the column. This still gives me, hey, I put effort forth and and gave everything I had. Um, So it's still valuable. And that's what you're trying to play these kind of mind games and sometimes setting different goals or having backups or having a defined floor of what you're capable of uh, takes some of that pressure off. Love it. Then for rigidity, the answer is just to be flexible and adaptable. And to me, that's really a mindset thing. So you have this big goal that's out in front of you and um, you have to be willing to kind of um, bound it. So maybe you have, and this is similar to your backup goal idea now that you've explained it, but you have a range. So the really good scenario is X, the everything you expect to happen scenario is Y, and the you get diagnosed with an illness or you have to take care of someone or school shut down. So you are now parenting 24 seven. You have your seagull. Um, there's a really interesting body of work by Danny Kahneman and I believe Amos Traversky, his, his intellectual partner was involved in this too, that um, looks at the planning fallacy. And it basically says that most large scale projects take 40% longer than they're promised by the contractors. And that's because when you lay out the timeline for building a house or a bridge uh, or some other very large project, you're not putting in periods of COVID or cancer diagnosis or crappy weather or name all the things that come up in life. And um, I think that when we think about goals, it's really important to remember that that stuff is going to come up 
and either adjust your goal downward or have some kind of bounded scenario for the life externally is great, life is what I expect it to be versus yeesh, this is a really rough year. And sometimes in a really rough year, the best that you can do is show up and that's okay too. Yeah, I think that's very pertinent, especially for what uh, the entire world's gone through the last uh, couple of years is <laughs> certainly goals have been disrupted and, and uh, all of that good stuff. It was one of the things that we got criticized the most for at McKinsey when I worked there way back in the day. But it's funny because it's actually like one of the, to me, the more intellectually honest things that we did is when clients would want an answer, we'd give them these scenarios. And the difference in scenarios could be on a magnitude of like 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion, or 100 lives, 1,000 lives, 5,000 lives. And they'd get really upset with us. And we'd be like, no, like this is true. This just goes to show how little the impact of your actions are amidst this broader context of the world. What's dishonest, and now I'm flipping back to just personal goal setting, is to try to tell yourself that, hey, if I just do all these things and follow this plan, this will be the result because there are going to be things that come up and and happen. Um, So I think it's just important to know that going in and that gives you this mindset of like anti-fragile goal setting um where sometimes that anti-fragile goal setting in an area of your life that you know well enough um going back to my strength training can be as simple as lift as much weight as possible like that is my goal and to me that's the most anti-fragile goal because the as possible part i take very seriously yeah no i think you're spot on and as as you're talking about um, your goal in lifting, like it reminds me of even, you know, my goal in, in writing, which is just to like follow interesting things <laughs> and to keep like following inter- interesting things until like it captures me. And then I'm like, I'm going to write about this. And you know, the behind the scenes of that process, because we talk about our different ideas and all that good stuff. But you know, it's it's not like I sit back or even we sit back and we're like, we're going to write, you know, X number of books in, you know, this many, this this time frame. It's like the idea comes around, we explore it, we kind of let it happen and we're like, well, let's get this done. Um, and sometime, as we've talked about, we might get to a point where it's like, yeah, need some more space. There's There's no ideas here. So... You know, I think to kind of sum that kind of mindset up is it's almost like know what needs a goal and know what what doesn't and what you can kind of just let happen and let naturally unfold and take its place. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's a really good way of thinking of it. And then the taking its place, that's where you get to be uh, more nebulous. So you mentioned career. I think often it's pretty harmful to have really explicit career goals because they close you off to all these other opportunities. So if you just want to be an executive vice president at your company and that's your goal, well, you're not going to have other opportunities come your way to even evaluate because you'll be acting in a way where you close yourself off to those things. Whereas if your career goal is follow my interests or work with smart people or always be challenged, well, then you open yourself up to all kinds of opportunities. So in a way, 
by not being so rigid about a career goal, you increase your surface area for getting lucky. Because if you've got this one lane and that's the lane that you're in, well, you better hope that the shooting star follows on that lane because if not, you're not going to see it. Whereas if you expand a little bit, suddenly you're like on this multi-lane highway of potential roads to take in a career, well, then you have a much greater chance of picking up a shooting star overhead. Not the best analogy, but hopefully you get the point. No, I love it. I think that's 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 great. Because Make it a I book, think, shooting stars, hundred thousand copies, smart goal. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I I think it's true because again, if we look at goals, and this is a, a maybe a Western society thing too, but we tend to narrow and cement and and think the idea is to you know get really specific, really focused, even specialized on on whatever it is we want to tackle. And that works to a degree, um, but if we cement, narrow, et cetera, too early or too often, then we cut off those potential um, lucky bits or those potential new roads or paths that we can take. And, you know, reflecting on my career that has taken many, many crazy meandering turns, um, if I was cut off to some of these opportunities, I can't think of where I would be if I just stayed in a narrow, let's say, running solely coaching focused world, then I wouldn't be doing what I would, I would do now or I am doing now. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap up, let's do a quick summary. Um, pitfalls. Goals are too difficult. We focus too much on outcomes, not the process. Goals are too rigid, which causes us to fail to adapt when adapting would make sense. And then a goal becomes a weight that really weighs us down. It becomes an obsession, which, as you pointed out, is intimately related to the first three things, a too difficult goal and outcome focused and too rigid. How do you correct for these pitfalls? Lower the bar, make your goals more attainable, save the big, hairy, audacious goals for things that you can externalize. Have some backup goals or at the very least have different scenarios. Make sure that when you set a goal, you put in all the things that will likely go wrong because things go wrong in life, things come up. Uh, and then try to have this flexible and adaptable mindset, um, particularly for things where you want to open yourself up to getting lucky and into being curious and taking new paths. So that's the summary. Before we go, Steve, you tweeted a little while ago, uh, and I'm going to quote you, whether you set goal, oh, this was on January 1st, um, you're a man of timing, Steve, whether you set goals or not is up to you. I set goals for small things in my life, but for big things, I just do the work, follow my interests and trust it will work out. Whatever you share, whatever you choose, make sure it is working with you, not against, that it's freeing you up to perform. So what are the small things that you have some goals for right now? And what are the big things that you don't have goals for? Oh, man. So big things I don't have goals for are <coughs> are um, my major projects. You know, my next book, my next pursuit on things. Running, I don't have big goals for anything like that. I said, well, I should correct that. Running, I have a small goal, which is to run five days a week. 
and I, do I, something. I wouldn't even call that a well i guess it's a goal to me it's like i'm so used to having a result at the end i would call that a process for achieving a result but you're saying you don't even have a result that's that is the end in and of itself that is that is the end and i should say um i should correct myself and say that my goal is um to and this is again more process orientated for this but i think it it kind of gets at how i work on things my goal is to do something hard in running once a week so run five days, do something hard where I get a little out of breath once a week. If I exceed that, great. If I don't, I don't have any goals in terms of my my upcoming book sales, anything like that. My my goal there is just to launch it and hope it, it, it works out. Okay. And then um, any other small goals, Steve? Because running five days a week isn't really a goal. I mean, that's like brushing your teeth. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, that's, that's very true. Um, my other, I, it, it's like my other small goals, I would say, I haven't really set out and done this for this year. I've done my reflections, which I'm looking at right now in my notebook. Um, but one, one of the things that I, my goal to do, I guess, more of is to, um, is to figure out how to use the information that I consume better. So I, there's nothing concrete on this yet, but I'm playing around with how do I take all the reading, podcast, listening, et cetera, and turn that into more actionable information. So for instance, right now, one of the things I'm dabbling with is once, once a month, sitting down, blocking off time and going back through my prior notes on books and translating those into, okay, so what, what am I going to do about this so that I don't forget all the information that I lose and kind of set up a system that allows me to use it better. So I guess my goal is to figure out how to organize my intellectual life better so that 90% of it isn't lost to the dustbin of my mind. Love it. It seems like a good goal. All right. So we've got goals. We hope this helped. If you found it interesting, consider sharing it with someone who might find it valuable and useful. And then also you can check us out on Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. Join the club, you know, join the book club get on the monthly mastermind group, get these podcasts early, get some guides and all sorts of cool stuff. And here's to a a better 2022 and um, you achieving your goals, whether they're big, hairy, audacious, smart, or very nebulous. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.